Have you ever given much thought to the fact that if you are a Christian, you worship a God who spoke Aramaic, which unless you've watched The Passion of the Christ, you likely have never heard that language spoken in your lifetime in your ears. And that's an amazing thought. And it, and it should cause us to ask the question that we're going to be addressing on the show today, which is why should you worship a man who lived 2,000 years ago? In fact, why should you worship Jesus who lived in a culture not anything like your own? And what validity does Christian Christianity have if it comes out of a culture 2,000 years ago in a different part of the world with different cultural values and a different language? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But first, I want to invite you, if you haven't left an iTunes review or rating or, you know, if, if whatever podcast app you listen on, go click subscribe, like, share, whatever. This is the most recent uh, iTunes review or one of them. The person said, I have listened to six of these podcasts and love them. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. These are honest, meaningful conversations about important topics with people that know these topics up close. I assume the reviewer is not talking about me, but more so my guests. In fact, they go on to say, if you don't know which one to listen to first, listen to the one with Karen Swallow Pryor. I'm biased. I I really enjoyed that one, but I've enjoyed all of them. And the guests that we've had on the show are amazing. The guests that are coming up are, are really, really impressive. But today is actually a unique and fun one. I am surrounded by uh, men and women in my job as a pastor who are not necessarily pastors or, or ministers in any respect. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but they are perfect examples of what I try and exemplify on this show, which is you don't have to be a well-known Christian to be a Christian thinker. And you're going to meet one today. My friend, Josh, I've been privileged to know him as he says in the show, I think maybe three or four years. Um, but this, this guy uh, is younger than me, but continually pushes me, challenges me. Uh, and how he thinks, how he views the world. And and, he, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation about this question of the culture of Christianity. And, and so I hope that you enjoy it. If you like the show, make sure to share it with a friend who you think would also like it. Um, but more than anything, just soak it in, enjoy, and think today about your answer to that question after the show. You you gotta not like. I hope you. Oh, thank God we're recording. I need this part for the blooper reel for Element yeah, that I'm making. Yeah, I have like a six minute legit blooper reel. Right now. Like it's really? really good. Yeah, mm. Justin's three minutes, but it's still really good. So for those of you listening, the reason why my guest today has a blooper reel is. In a sense, I mean, I guess you're not a guest. I mean, you're a guest in the sense that you are a guest of mine, but uh, my buddy Josh is on the show today. Uh, Josh is, we, how long have we been friends now? Uh, probably about five years. I don't think it's been five years. I think it has. Maybe dog years. Maybe I've known you for five years. No, I think it's probably more like three or four but well, I've been at Element for about five and a half. Yeah. So uh, for those of you listening, Josh goes to church with me. Um, a good friend of mine. We work together on staff at the church I'm a pastor at. 
He's uh, over our college ministry and, and, and does a bunch of other things, but he also runs our graphics and media. And so he has, he's the keeper of the blooper reel of all the videos of myself and the guys I work with. And so uh, I asked Josh on the show because uh, today we're going to be talking and we're going to try and do more and more of these types of episodes where uh, we're just talking about things that, that matter, things that come up in the Christian life, um, especially in not necessarily debate, but conversation with young Christians, with non-Christians, with former Christians, with Christians who haven't done a lot of thinking about their faith. Uh, as, as I say all the time at All Things All People, you don't have to be a well-known Christian to be a Christian thinker. And Josh is a great example of that. He is a younger guy than me, at least, uh, who thinks deeply about our faith, Christianity, um, even uh, for me, being around guys like him, younger guys, of which I'm privileged to get to hang out with, uh, you know, guys who are just coming up now and maturing in their faith. Uh, he's one of the ones who challenges me the most in continuing to learn and to grow and to think. And so uh, he's the perfect, and he's also good at having conversations, which is good for uh, for podcasts. But Josh, you are actually, unfortunately, the least famous person I've had on this show uh, right now. Right yet, <laughs> yet, yeah. You and you and Karen Swallow Pryor, neck and neck, <laughs> neck and neck for uh, the Christian Pulitzer. Uh, uh, you know, it's it is kind of funny. Like you talk about, like I, I do really enjoy my role in being able to come to you with like some ideas that maybe necessarily they're not all the way baked through yet. But uh, if I can come to you, they can kind of get baked through, and then mm-hmm. you know maybe you can you know even challenge with some new thoughts sometimes. Well, you know what's kind of cool about being younger and i mean i'm not old but i'm not necessarily young anymore anymore at least but so but the cool thing about being younger and so for for people who are listening who maybe you are in your 20s or maybe even your late teens or who knows whatever Um, or maybe maybe you're in your 30s and you just feel like you haven't been in christianity or, or whatever it might be very long there's something nice about being young or younger because you don't have to have everything figured out you know, like, so you saying you bringing ideas to me that are half baked, I think that's a good thing. The The way to get half baked ideas baked all the way through is, you know, heat them up, you know, put Absolutely. them in the oven and in and, and, and conversation. And I've had men and women who that was, you know, they played that role in my life, too. Mm-hmm. And so kind of that's the goal of the show. That's the goal of the podcast. It isn't just to interview famous Christians. It's it's kind of like to listen to people talk about their ideas, talk about their thoughts and you know, you don't have to be Andy Bannister to have awesome thoughts. Although if you haven't listened to the show, (laughs) his was awesome. And he has amazing thoughts that you and I have. I mean, you and I were literally just talking about Andy Bannister a few minutes ago. Um, but you know, I mean, if you're a Christian, you, you, you're a thinker, you know, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. at least you should be. So, um, but so today, uh, we're going to talk about an interesting topic, but I'm gonna start off with this question. Josh, do you know what a shibboleth is so i'm pretty sure that is the uh the root where we get the uh the cultural shift that mm. uh from from prison no i'm just kidding i'm you mean I, like the blade that somebody uh cuts each other with in prison i mean i, mean, I, supp- I suppose that's the okay. uh the root for it i'm just kidding i i mean i, I assume that you're referring to judges okay i liked where you were going first <laughs> um Etymologically speaking, shibboleth and shiv, I don't think come from the same root word, but that's a different show. But yeah, judges. Okay, so 
you saved yourself with Judges. So Judges, in, in Judges uh, chapter 12, which Judges is a weird book. And if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, specifically Judges, you should. But there's this scene in the book of Judges where the Gileadites, uh, the, so the tribe of Gilead, uh, they defeat the Ephraimites. So a, another tribe it, warring in this kind of like factionized uh, Israel. And they defeat the Ephraimites in battle. And so they used the word shibboleth to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty cool story. So when the Gileadites were approached by someone trying to enter their camps, so they'd have these guards outside their camps. And of course you had to keep people from coming and going uh, as they please, if they weren't part of the tribe. Mm -hmm. And you know, these, these, uh, these varying factions were were ruled by different judges and different uh, people. But of course they're all from the same area. So they look alike. They sound alike for the most part. So the Gileadites in this particular instance from judges 12, when someone would approach their camp, they would ask them to say the word shibboleth, mm -hmm. which in Hebrew means stream and the Ephraimite dialect. So the way that they spoke made it impossible to say the sound sh in sh sound. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in, in, you know, in Hebrew too, like that dialect, so Semitic languages in general are like really hard to make the sounds. And so this particular group could not make the sound sh like an sh. <laughs> so therefore they would, they would be able to tell an Ephraimite from a Gileadite just by asking them to say the word shibboleth. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I still though, I still like Shiv, okay? <laughs> but, you know, interestingly enough, in World War II, the U.S. forces did the same thing uh, to, to, for the exact same reason. During the Battle of the Bulge, they would ask approaching soldiers who had won the previous year's World Series. Hmm. Okay, so you and I are both big baseball fans. Yeah. Off the top of your head, can you tell me right now who won last year's World Series? Uh, as a brave fan, I can unfortunately say yeah. with the Nationals, yeah. uh, they won't be doing it this year. But uh, no, they yeah. won't. But that was pretty rough for Bryce Harper, though. <sighs> go to Isn't the it, though? go to the Phillies and then see his old team win. <laughs> Isn't it though? So, uh, in for you listening, you, you might not be a big baseball fan, but in World War II, uh, these guys, you know, coming out of the '40s, I think baseball played a much more uh, strategic cultural role in the United States. So they would ask approaching soldiers who had won the previous year's world series. If they didn't know, they just flat out assumed it was a German dressed as an American. <laughs> so, so like, I think, I mean, first of all, let's just think about that for a second in the forties to be a reader in world war II, <laughs> a sports fan yeah. in, in the forties. If you were talk about, toxic masculinity okay <laughs> so in the 40s if you didn't know who won the previous year's world series you were deemed a nazi okay how long is that it seems it seems appropriate okay seems appropriate so by these standards so okay so shibboleth we're, we're back to the word okay shibboleth i do want to say this like whenever yeah. whenever you're talking about uh shibboleth like remembering that story i mean we're both i mean you necessarily not being from where you necessarily pastor now mm -hmm. um not getting too in depth where where that is necessarily but just I grew, in, yeah i grew up in wheaton illinois right yeah if they yeah. listen to the barnabas piper podcast i think they know so yeah, so and and being in western north carolina now yeah. mm -hmm. uh we can smell us a yankee by yeah, the way oh, yeah. you say some words around oh, for sure around the area yeah so like so culturally speaking um, I was just talking to my family today. My, my parents are thinking about moving to North Carolina 
And I was telling them just some of the things to get ready for. Like, mm-hmm. um, I love it here. Would I hope I never leave, but there were things that I was really surprised by, like things that I didn't know. Like I, I, I had never heard the phrase raising cane. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I heard that, I literally didn't know what that meant. And mm-hmm. if, if you're like me and you're not from the South, raising cane means causing trouble, like mm-hmm. causing a fuss, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I didn't, I literally didn't know that. Right. So it made it hard for me to fit in culturally. I can remember the first time I came back to North Carolina with my now wife at the time, girlfriend, and I introduced myself to somebody and she, I can't remember what it was. It was like a, a school secretary and she was talking to me and I hadn't said anything yet. And she, she asked me like if I was from around here and all I said was no. And she laughed and she said, well, if you had opened your mouth, I would have been able to tell. (laughs) And I was like, how can you tell from just the word no that I'm from 800 miles away? I'm just from Eastern North Carolina and moving here. I had a, uh, I was helping a gentleman uh, work around the house and he was saying, go give me the hose pipe. Yeah. And uh, I'd never heard of a hose pipe before in my life. So I go into the little tool shed and I start bringing back, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know, every kind of tool, I didn't know what the name of it was. And he's just looking at me like, I'm an idiot. He's, yeah. like, he's like, this guy don't know what a hose pipe is. So it's, it's a water a, hose, yeah, for you guys hose. who don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that before yeah. in my life. So so that, so that's a great segue, actually. So we see this instance of Shibboleth during the, the, the period of Judges mm-hmm. in the, the history of Israel. And, you know, it brings us to this interesting question about, and you just pointed it out, that even between me and you and the people that... I pastor now. Mm. You, you you are in leadership over people who have intrinsic cultural differences mm-hmm. than you. And that's just a small example of the fact that now, 2,000 years after the inception of Christianity, we have Christians all around the world, mm-hmm. all around the world in every language, in it, or almost every language, almost every culture. So how do we recognize true belief mm-hmm. if, if our culture's are, are so different, you know? So mm-hmm. I've read an example, um, about the difference between like Indian Christians, like, uh, as far as like, you know, South Asian India, mm-hmm. um, and an American evangelicals and, you know, almost every South Asian Christian that I've met and I, you've met plenty too, hold the Bible in really, really high regard. Sure. And maybe even it plays a more integral part into their life. Mm-hmm. But if you ask them if they if they believe the Bible was inerrant or or infallible, mm-hmm. they might not know what that means. But American evangelicals use that as a shibboleth, use that as a qualifier of genuine faith. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe that the Bible is without error, you're going to have a hard time fitting into some churches. And so you can't use that word or words like it with people from different cultures because there's a language barrier, there's a a cultural barrier. Um, And so we kind of have to face that question now is like, is the gospel for every culture around the world? And if your answer is yes, then we need to start figuring out, okay, so like, you know, how does that happen? How does that go about? So, so here's an, here's another question for you. Okay. And this is one I've gotten. I'm sure you've gotten it too. And I, and I'd love, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I think if to the people listening, I want you to imagine someone asks you this question and kind of what off the top of your head, what would you say? Why would I follow a God that lived 2000 years ago? Mm. Why would I follow a God or even just a person, a teacher from a different part of the world, Israel, no less the middle East, Mm. no less. Why would I follow a, a person or a God who lived differently than me and had completely different cultural values? Mm 
than me. What What's your thoughts on that? So first thing I think you were just talking about, like, what is that, that, um, that common denominator in identifying Christians from different, uh, backgrounds and cultures. And uh, me and you have traveled together, um, just to, outside of the U S and I remember, yeah, don't say where, don't get us in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, not like we haven't said it from stage. Um, yeah, but, uh, that, that one common denominator, and of course you can give like a biblical answer being like your belief in, yeah. in, in, in Jesus mm-hmm. and, and these different, um, like biblical standards for salvation. But like love, like love is kind of like that hot topic word for, for Christians, but it's because like Jesus sets that as a standard for how the world will know that he is who he, who he says he is mm-hmm. in the way the disciples treat one another and then disciples treat people that even don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. So, I remember going to other countries and being like the singular factor that I can see is a love and a hospitality mm. even mm-hmm. um, and just like the way that they treated one another. Yeah. And uh, so Jesus kind of set that standard for identifying Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your original question, um, why would we as, as Westerners mm-hmm. look at Jesus as being completely different culturally, er, everything, everything was different about Jesus. He did not look yeah. like us. Uh, some of the, um, some of the independent Baptist churches might, might be a little yeah. surprised that Jesus, the white Jesus that they yeah. have is not the, not the historically accurate Jesus. Um, I think one thing is Jesus was very different from the people that he entered into into mm-hmm. in that time mm-hmm. right like god taking on flesh he could not have been more different than the mm-hmm. people that he that he then came into their culture yeah. so if jesus you know changed everything about himself to enter into that culture i know that so mm-hmm. i know that jesus is able to make that connection with me mm-hmm. and go through the same struggles in in my life as he yeah. did with them 2000 years ago yeah i mean so like And I think it's an interesting point that you bring up because the idea that the gospel is somehow Mm -hmm. transcultural is is an important one in studying missions. But I think it's an important one that needs to make its way even more into, especially like you said, Western Christianity, because the United States, at least, and and Western Europe is a melting pot of various cultures. Mm -hmm. But something you bring up that maybe even needs to get addressed before is that Jesus himself in a sense is transcultural, like in the sense right. that he transcends culture. Like there were things about Jesus that did not fit into a, you know, like Syro Palestine, Israel right. first century world. And like you said, I think the first one you brought up was love. If you study cultures at all, especially historical cultures, like you'll find that like the, the concept of grace, the concept of like forgiveness, the concept of mercy, uh, very outside of Judaism was really foreign mm-hmm. in that time, especially in like the Hellenistic and Roman worlds. And so like Jesus himself, like in the incarnation, like John one, one, he was transcultural. Like there were things about him that went beyond cultures. Like you don't have to be Jewish to love your enemy. Right. You know, like it was because they were the chosen people of God that they were instructed to love your enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and so we see that in, in Jesus. So that, that's, that's a, it's a, that's a great starting point is the idea that like Jesus himself, like was not just completely Jewish. Like he right, was right. definitively Jewish. And if, and if somehow you're listening to this show and no one's ever told you <laughs> Jesus wasn't white, right? You know, Jesus, Jesus wasn't American. Right. Um, he thought about things completely differently than we do. Right. If you've made it somehow this far, 
maybe I don't know. I hate for us to be the ones that break <laughs> that news to you, you know. But yeah, as as an icebreaker for students, I always say, you know, two things. Usually, I'd be like, don't let this be like if this surprises you, the rest of my teaching probably will. But that Jesus never taught from the New Testament one time. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. And, and then the second thing is always, and Jesus wasn't a Christian. Like, right, yeah. Jesus was Jewish. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, he fits in this cultural context of first century Israel, of first century Judaism, but then also he transcends it. And so there should be something about us that transcends our cultures right, as well. Right, so and good. so this, yeah, this transcultural nature of the gospel. So it's, it's a really important missiological concept or anthropological concept, which is kind of one of my areas of, of uh, specialty, although mm-hmm. I don't specializing in it very often it seems but um so there's this guy paul hebert he's a missiologist and a christian anthropologist he was a pioneer in introducing this kind of uh, thinking in modern times that the gospel transcends culture therefore christians should be able to transcend culture so mm-hmm. not just you know that no no pun intended that we should be all things to all people right like paul instru- he says you know I, I i become a greek to greeks i become a jew to jews mm-hmm. but paul hebert actually is suggesting this idea that like there is something about the gospel that it can fit into every culture. Right. You know, so like, let's compare it for a moment. Like you, like me are very fascinated with other religions. Mm -hmm. So like if, if you want to become Muslim, Mm -hmm. what language do you have to be able to read Arabic? Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. So like you have to be able to read Arabic. If, if you're a Muslim at one point in your life, you have to go somewhere. Right. Yeah, you have you have to make that yeah. that pilgrimage. And it's to a specific country. It's to a specific culture. Like right. everything in Islam is wrapped around Arabic culture. Now, if if, if there's a Muslim listening to this, they're going to in some sort of, I don't know, maybe iTunes, but like they're going to comment somewhere and they'll say there are more Southeast Asian Muslims than than there are, you know, um Arab Muslims or something right. like that. That's not what I'm saying and that's not what you're saying. It's it's that it's intrinsically wrapped around Arabic culture. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Hinduism, right? So, like, you know, you've been into you've been to South Asia, right? I've been to South Asia. Um, you've seen Hinduism, you know, right in your face. I, I have too. It's very Indian, right? Like, right. it's it's difficult to it's difficult to be Hindu and not be Indian, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so th- there's things about, it is so entwined in their culture. 100%. Yeah. Maybe more so than Islam. Right. I think you can, I think you can extrapolate Islam from, um, Arab culture. Obviously, like we said, there's more Muslims in Southeast Asia. Like Indonesia has the largest Muslim capital in right. the entire world. Right. Very, very far away from Arab culture. Hinduism. I'm willing to bet if, the world goes on for another million years. The highest concentration of Hindus is always going to be in India. Yeah, without a doubt. And so, so well, th- it, there's something about that that is intrinsically cultural to one specific culture. Right. And w- w- what you're talking about is if you're going to be a devout Muslim, you cannot take away location, language. Mm-hmm. Like you, you cannot separate that from right. the religion and and call yourself Muslim. Okay. So then, what do we say then? Okay, because <laughs> we do have some people who listen to this show who, whether they're Christian or not, like they're, they're listening to this and they're going, I think you guys are glossing over some things about Christianity that is inherently Jewish. Well, I think that one thing we need to also understand is like, maybe we're thinking about it the wrong way. Did, did Jesus was, was his teachings only based 
on the on the history and the culture, or did he have these these overarching principles that he decided to relate culturally? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where an understanding of him being like, yes, Jesus was Jewish, but right. Jesus being God just chose to use the things around him mm-hmm. to teach these lessons. The same way that you just described this principle from Judges in a very small town friendly way of like yeah. describing like just the way that our accents give us away. Yeah. Um, you just described that principle, that, that lesson mm-hmm. in that way. I think that's really what Jesus did yeah. in the culture that he was in. Yeah. I, I don't want to make this statement flippantly. Um, but I would say that much of what Jesus did and said was not inherently Jewish. Right. Okay. I'm sure that somebody can say, no, that's not true. What about this and this and this? And obviously we know that as the fulfillment of, you know, centuries of Jewish prophecy, Mm -hmm. that he was the Messiah, that, that a lot of his miracles had Jewish value to them. Um, Like, you know, you and I recently, I think we've had conversations about the Jewish significance of wine, Mm -hmm. you know, wine and water and things like that. And um, so obviously like John two, the wedding at Cana matters in a Jewish sense. Right. Right. But, but like him saying, once again, to love one another, love your enemies, um, you know, washing feet and, and things like that. Like these are, in fact, the washing feet symbolism actually begins to extract somebody from a, a Jewish like mm-hmm. state of mind is like the idea right. that like those were typically slaves and servants who did that. Right. You know, and then even too, like the story of the Good Samaritan, right? You know, so the touching of a dead body, right? We begin to see a fracturing of a cultural identity within Christianity that, like, it's it's strictly Jewish, and so we begin to see in that moment a transcending of cultures. That, like, the guy who actually did the best in the Good Samaritan was not only not Jewish, but because he was willing to not abide by Jewish law. Mm-hmm. He was the hero of the story, and the Levite and the priest were not. Right. And also, in like Judaism, we see that it's, I mean, you correct me if I have a misunderstanding about this, it's not an evangelistic sure. religion at all. It, it's really more of a, a inner-focused and an exclusive religion. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly in today's yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that we see Jesus constantly bucking that norm, whether it's the story of the Samaritan woman mm-hmm. and him really breaking down just in his conversation, just reading into it, uh, breaking down the idea of the, the sins that the Samaritans had done against the Jews and him yeah. being like, that's I, I've moved past that mm-hmm. as the, you know, thinking about the triune God as the God who the Samaritans had built a temple, right. Had built a separate temple yeah. in the years before and filled it with other gods and idol worship. Yeah. Jesus going past that and saying, well, don't worry about that temple. I'm telling you there is a new place where you're going to worship. Like mm-hmm. we see him already breaking down that, yeah. that cultural barrier. And that's all through the gospel. Yeah. Um, him constantly saying like, this is not an inner, like an mm-hmm. inner focused religion. This is a religion that is meant to be pushed. And yeah. maybe it's not even just nearly a religion necessarily, but you oh, know, yeah. a relationship. I, I, I think, I think you're right there because, um, so the idea that like Judaism is intrinsically like not evangelistic. So, I agree with you. Um, I think though we have a concept of evangelism as as evangelical Christians that in a country, no less that we can, we can share our faith literally on street corners, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
first century Jews and before them, like they, there's instructions all throughout the old Testament of like what to do with the foreigner and like welcoming them Mm -hmm. into the nation of Israel and like welcome them in to the worship of Yahweh. Um, in fact, like there was a part of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, you know, where they were allowed to, to come in, you know, but Judaism is essentially a faith, at least temple Judaism. Now it's completely different. And that's a whole different show of what like modern day Judaism looks like. But first century second temple Judaism was a religion of barriers, Mm -hmm. you know? So in the temple, you had the court of Gentiles, you had a place for the women, you had a place for the men. Then you had the the holy place where the priest could go into. And then inside the holy place, you had the (laughs) most holy Holy place. Exactly. The, The holy of holies where one guy, one time a year who was chosen <laughs> with a rope around his waist. With so a rope out. Exactly. In case he died. Like, so it's a religion of barriers, which isn't a, it's like, I, I hate to say it's not a bad thing. God designed it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's around this concept of holiness in right. Yahweh. Right. But, but interestingly enough, like, so if we're really talking about the transcultural nature of the gospel, we're talking about the transcultural nature of Yahweh. Um, you said the triune God, right? It gets a little confusing there but like you know sure. we're talking about the same person right we're talking about the same god and we sometimes as christians think that there was this big change um in matthew in mark and luke and john that like all of a sudden god changed his character but when you look all the way back to the abrahamic covenant you know so like when he and i talk about this all the time um when god brought abraham outside and yeah. said through you and your seed your family I'm going to bless all of the nations of the earth. Mm-hmm. And you know, that includes the Gentiles. And so we see even all the way back to Genesis, God had a heart for non-Jews. Right. Sometimes we lose track of that in the old Testament because we, because rightfully so we see time and time again, God choosing Israel, God blessing Israel and Israel alone. Um, and so we can forget that, at the very beginning of it all, at the very beginning of the story of Israel, we see God saying through Israel. There was a design yeah. for it to be intercultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. And so it can be confusing. He, he says it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like he's, he's through you and your seed, Israel, uh, the Jews, everyone's going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, there had to be a change and there had to be a heart change too. And so... Like while you are right, it, by our standards, Judaism is not evangelistic. It it was somewhat outward focused at points, and and then especially in the New Testament with the New Covenant, right? It completely changed, and right. we really actually don't even see this. We see this some in the life of Jesus, because like you said, um, the Samaritan woman, the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, you know, the Syrophoenician woman. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure we could think of more where like Jesus himself or like the Roman centurion, right? Like where Jesus is interacting with Gentiles all the time. And even times that you have to like, even think about it more with the, um, with the, the healing of the man that's possessed, like him, him going to a place that the Jewish people would have saw as a, as a very, you know, no, no place Mm -hmm. with, with its, with its history. And I think a lot of this that we're kind of talking about is the way that the Jewish people had, had uh, twisted um, and whether it's through, you know, misinterpretation of law or just things that have happened to them, mm-hmm. like in a very, yeah. you know, earthly physical sense, like a, a natural distrust of people. They've been conquered yeah. multiple times yeah. by this point and people that they had alliances with turn on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly like the Samaritans. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. I think taking that into context, Jesus is one 
of course, bringing in this new idea and this even more extreme evangelistic mindset, but then also correcting the things that these Jewish people have kind of installed themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's like almost one of the main themes of Jesus' <laughs> yeah. ministry. Is like, yeah. yeah, this restoration. Know, yeah, it's like, why don't you follow the laws? He's like, well, those aren't even <laughs> real laws. You know, <laughs> right, like right. those are laws you guys right. came up with, right. you know, because right. you just want to make things. This difficult. isn't your game. Why are you yeah, making yeah. the rules? Like, <laughs> I'm God, okay? I can, I know the rules, you know? Right. Or it's like, you, you quote it all the time when we talk about like C.S. Lewis. It's like, what is the... Uh, Aslan say he says, "Don't tell me about the magic." Don't recite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. Right, exactly. Uh, Jesus is like, line. Jesus is like, do not talk to me about. Law. I am the law. Yes, I am the yeah. law. So I know where it's appropriately implemented. You know, but so, uh, <laughs> like, so Jesus is all about busting down cultural barriers, right. and and also too, um, even in selection of the disciples. Yeah. You know, so you have a bunch of fishermen, mm-hmm. uneducated fishermen. You have a zealot who, who like literally, for those of you who don't know, zealots, what they did, they were still fighting against the Romans. Yes. And so they were a holdover from like the intertestamental period where there was um, huge wars and battles against the Hellenists. And then when the Romans took over, the same thing happened. And zealots would literally go up to Roman uh, soldiers and stab them. Oh, yeah. Full Braveheart. Yeah, very much thing. a Braveheart yeah. type thing, but like they were, they were zealous. Like they were zealous yes. over Israel's identity as a yes. sovereign nation. But so in the disciples, you have a zealot, and then you have a tax collector, <laughs> right? And a tax collector literally was in the pocket of the Romans. Mm-hmm. So like he worked for the Romans, he would collect taxes, and then basically they'd say, "You get, you know, collect our taxes for us. Anything over and above, right. yeah, anything over and above is yours." And so these guys were hated in if you read in the gospels how oftentimes tax collectors are literally used as the lowest of the low almost like samaritans right because they were traitors you know like the jews hated them because they were on the roman side so in this 12 in this selection of the 12 you have a guy who feverishly loves israel to the point of killing roman soldiers Mm -hmm. and then in the same culture you have a guy who has you know, in the eyes of many Jews is a traitor and is on the side of the Romans. And so even there you have a cultural, uh, you know, like clashing, right? Not even to speak of Paul. Not even know, to speak of Paul. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, not even bring in the guy who like, the same guy who could talk about being the Jew of Jews, being the yeah. same guy that be, you say, I'd cut, I'd be cut off for Christ if it meant that right. Jews could come to know so him. So Paul is perhaps, and that's where we're actually good, about to go there. So like Paul is perhaps the best example of this, which is probably doubt. why the Lord saw fit to use him <laughs> yeah. for the majority of the New Testament. Um, but so like, before we get to Paul, I, I think personally, I think everything changes when we come to, when we talk about uh, the the Christian gospel transcending culture. Mm-hmm. and I, And I think right now, at least, you know, in 2020 in the United States, we see a need for our faith to transcend our cultural expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge turning point where the gospel all of a sudden becomes no longer a strictly Jewish thing. Right. So very early on, the gospel made its way, starting at Pentecost, you know, all around the you know the middle east talking about a sign of the intercultural yeah. movement thing. right so pentecost. like some people would say that pentecost was the correction of babel mm-hmm. right so like mm-hmm. that all of a sudden yeah. you know fire rains down and really you know the i didn't come up with it i'm but, just saying I mean, but if somebody wants to give me credit for it, i'm not gonna stop them but like <laughs> so you know so the, yeah so like pentecost is a restoration of 
of Babel. So for those who don't know, the Tower of Babel, you know, humanity was divided. And if you haven't listened to the Michael Heiser podcast, it gets pretty wild what he says happens. Gosh, yeah. But, uh, you know, on a basic level, like a Sunday school level, <laughs> this is where we see people divided into languages and no, no longer can they communicate. Well, all of a sudden in Acts at Pentecost, God sees fit to allow people from different cultures to communicate with each other. Right. You know, through the gift of tongues mm-hmm. in, in Acts. Um, and so starting at Pentecost, we see this blossoming of the go- the gospel um, all around the known Middle Eastern world. And then in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, the, the apostles and the early church leaders have to face the decision of what do we do with all of these Gentiles? What do mm-hmm. we do with all these, these Greek and Roman influenced Christians? And the biggest question was, do they get circumcised? Right. Okay. So, you know, that's a big question. And then also, do they have to fall? Can they eat pig? You know, can they, cause, cause at this point, many of the Christian converts from Judaism mm-hmm. were still following the Jewish law because right. they still considered themselves Jews. Right. And so they come up against these, these Greeks, these Romans who had also accepted the gospel said, man, this Jesus stuff is amazing. <laughs> you know, we've heard about it from Paul. We've heard about it from Peter and we want in. So the Jews go, okay, so what do we make them do? And they, they decided at Acts 15. How do you become a member? Right, exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, I get asked that question all the time. Like, how do I become a member of Element Church, you know? And so imagine being the first person to, dis- to decide, <laughs> how do you become a Christian? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that shibboleth becomes more important because it's no longer what language do you speak? Right. You know, so going back to Judges, it's no longer... I mean, think about that. In Judges, it was actually tribes within the, this this group of people, right. right? So now in Acts 15, guys like Peter have to decide how Jewish of a faith is this going to be? And are we going to require these people from you know, Ephesus, Laodicea, mm-hmm. to become more Jewish? Or is there something about Jesus that doesn't need believers to be Jewish? Right. You know, and so they decide, and it was a really difficult discussion, I'm sure, but we see a, a glimpse of it in Acts 15 that they decide we're going to do nothing that would inhibit somebody from being to able to accept the gospel. Now, they do they do put some restrictions in there, and uh, some of them are interesting, like you can't uh, ingest blood. Mm-hmm. And and just as a side note, we, we could do a whole different show on, on this type of stuff of like, where does the law fit into the new covenant? Um, you know, the most common interpretation of that today is like, you don't want to cause your Jewish brothers to stumble. So don't be sitting the, over there eating pork in front of your Jewish brothers and sisters. Don't be sitting there like deliberately breaking the law. But, but basically Peter stands up and says, we're going to do nothing to keep these Gentiles from becoming followers of Jesus. And we're not going to make them, them Jewish. And so like, like T minus 15 minutes, 15 chapters into Christianity, the apostles are saying there's something about our faith that goes beyond Judaism. Yes. You know, and, and so I think that's, that's beautiful. And, and I, and I think just two chapters later, we see a, a great example of this as well. Acts 17, Paul standing in front of the Oropagus. Mm. Um, and I know, you know, the story right. partly because of your own story, but also once again, I talk about it a lot. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, Paul's standing in Athens and he's, he's looking out over the Oropagus, which is this huge temple ridden area where all these, these Greek gods are. And he, he, I, I don't think the text says this off the top of my head, but I think 
it's safe to say like his heart probably broke for these people. Cause these are all um, people worshiping Greek and Roman gods. They were right. believers in uh, stoic philosophy, Epicurean philosophy mm-hmm. and, and all the things that those entail. Um, and, and so he goes out and, like, they're, they're basically like, who's we hear your God rose from the dead, you know, which is a weird concept in first century. Right. And, uh, well, I mean that, you know, it's a weird concept it, it, well, now. Well, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, and especially if they're going to be like, he died. Like that's yeah. even a weird concept for them. Mm. And yeah. Then, that's true too. Yeah. So like, I've never even thought of it that way. Yeah. Not, not even, not like, even, why is he worthy of worship? Cause he died, but then also now he's coming yeah. back to life. And yeah, now you're talking about also this, this second power that has yeah. come to you. And we see you doing these, yeah. these miracles. And so things. all around Christianity was just a weird thing. It was in the first century. It's actually still really weird, but we're just used to it. You, right. you know what I mean? Like, but it's like a fish breathing water and then you take it out of water and it's just right. like, where did all the water go? Yeah, like, exactly. Right. So, so Paul's in Athens, they, they look at him, they say, Hey, we hear your God from earth from the dead. Why don't you, we, and, and I kind of get the picture in my mind that some of them were genuinely curious. They're, they're thinkers and they go, I, tell me what you think. And then other guys are like, yeah, okay. <laughs> this Jewish guy rose from the dead. This is the beginning of a joke. Yeah. Tell you me know? more. Tell me more. And so, so in Acts 17, he stands up in front of the Oropagus. He, he's in front of all these temples. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. So we see he's, he's saying, okay, um, you in all of these temples, right? You have a temple for the God of love. You have a temple for the God of war. You have a temple for the messenger God. You have Zeus, who's supposed to be like the supreme God, but right. never mind the fact he mates with women and <laughs> you know, all these things. And so he's like, but to cover your bases, you have a temple to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, I know the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And so here we see Paul exemplifying the, the transcultural nas- nature of the gospel, which I think is unique to Christianity. Yes. Is that he's looking over this crowd and he sees that it would be so easy for him to go they they're not they don't believe the same thing as me. They don't see the world the same as me. They don't have the same foundational cultural knowledge that I do, mm-hmm. but yet I'm going to do whatever I can to talk to them. You know, and and even to the point of using you know, a temple to an unknown God, which was by no mean, by no means it meant to be to Yahweh. Right, right. right. You know, so instead he's, he's basically just like, so let me you let me use this cultural thing mm-hmm. that you think is specifically to your culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to use it to explain this message of the gospel of Yahweh, the Supreme God, which transcends all cultures. Right. You know? And so I guess for me, you know, looking at where we are now, you know, in, in 2020, um, the, the question, the question remains whether it's inside the U S for you and I, it's in the Southeast right. in small town friendly, as we would say, um, maybe it, maybe it's all around the world, but in, specifically in our culture, how can you and I become better ministers in the sense of saying we need to be able to preach a message or preach a gospel that does not become inhibited by crossing cultural boundaries, even if it's within our culture. Mm. I mean, I, I think the easy answer is just like identify the culture that you're trying to 
move the gospel into and then and then like Paul did find what is those common examples of the gospel and I mean I think about it even in America like this though with uh, you know if anybody's listened to this that is not familiar with what's going on in the US mm-hmm. with a lot of the social strife in America um, just cries for injustice and, and and here's the thing cries on the other side that mm-hmm. are that are you know contrary to that coming to an understanding that that can be used as a way to leverage the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm a big proponent of the minimalist facts argument. I love yeah. it. And particularly being on college campuses and, and dealing with students, um, the minimalist facts argument, I probably use it more than anything else, mm-hmm. whether it be moral argument, cosmological. Yeah. And minimalist fact, facts argument being an argument for the resurrection, kind of like, pioneered by Gary Habermas. Right. But the idea is like you're using as little uh, presuppositions as possible. Right. The idea like we we're nobody's going to argue that Jesus was an actual person. Right. Right. He died. All those things. Right. Anyway. Right. And, and leading from that, one of the, you know, the, the crescendo moments of the minimalist facts argument being there are, there are 11 disciples, you know, not counting Judas. Right. Um, Yeah. Never, never count Judas. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and then, of course, there being, you know, his spot being taken. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we can throw in Paul just yeah. for good just for good measure. But but the disciples that actually saw Jesus yeah. and would have known about his resurrection, whether that was true or false. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who said it, but I've always said it, that um, nobody dies for a lie. Mm-hmm. That they would know if it was a lie or right. not. And I think it speaks to the interculturalness of the gospel, that you have 11 men— We'll just keep using 11 who have a reason throughout history, throughout their culture to not trust or do anything outside of what they are commanded Mm -hmm. to do through the law for the people around them. Mm -hmm. And every one of them died in a different country than where they were born. Mm -hmm. That the idea of these, these disciples died in what would now be present day Soviet Union, mm-hmm. Turkey, Syria, Northern Africa, India, yeah. um, all of these places. And none of them were born there. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me is saying these men who I'm gonna will use them to show the gospel is real, believed it so much that they went against their own culture mm-hmm. to go share that gospel they believed in. And then, you know, the final step forward. Yeah. all things, all people, mm-hmm. it, the, the idea of Paul saying, I will give up all of my birthrights, which yeah. as a Jew in his culture, he, I mean, he was, he was born in this ultimate entitlement position, right? Mm-hmm. He had anything he wanted to be was at his fingertips. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he would choose to give that all up for single people. Yeah. Not, not for grand swaths of people, mm-hmm. but I'd become all things to all people. So that some, yeah, would believe, and then just—I mean—you can take that a step further. The yeah. fact that Paul, Paul died, yeah, ministering to the people that would kill him. Yeah, well, and Paul, like you said, so he was an elite Jew. He was also a Roman, exactly. You know, so like, yeah. So that I think that's a an so amazing, that's a great point. Yeah, how do you leverage your culture, mm-hmm. and then what parts of your culture do you need to release? Yeah. So, so, you know, perhaps in the world that you and I are living in now, um, especially, you know, I hate that every four years, it seems like everybody hates each other, but like, (laughs) you know, we are coming up on a political season. We Mm -hmm. are, um, in the midst of, at least in our lifetime, the worst 
you know, uh, racial tension that we've experienced, which in a lot of ways, it's, it, you know, it's, it's undeniable that a lot of these conversations that are being had have to happen, you know, mm-hmm. but it's almost like before, whether you, whether you, if you're disagreeing with somebody, okay, you and you and I, we, we mentioned Andy Bannister, yeah. um, the episode that, that I, I had with him a, a few weeks ago, which, which was one of my favorites so far. And he said, when you hear people hurting, you know, when you hear people talking about Black Lives Matter, the Extinction Rebellion, yeah, you might disagree with the directions that they're going in or even what they're saying. You might disagree with literally everything they're saying. Right. But Bannister said, but those are cries of the heart. Yes. Uh, before we started talking, you were talking about like that, that. That's likely coming from a place of hurt. Yeah. A place of hurt that need. there's an injury. Yes. There is an injury. And we... You know, as Christians, we say that we have an answer for physical, emotional, and spiritual healing through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why are we not? Why Why are we looking to yeah. see if their injury, if it was their own fault, if it's even mm. a real injury? Yeah. Um, in this in this facts don't care about your feelings environment that we're in. Why Why is our first Why is our first answer not? Well, let's fix what's hurting first. Sure. Right. And so I think that even this idea of the gospel being transcultural extends to some of us who are ministering solely in one culture. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, right now we are in the, it's becoming more and more apparent that while we are in the most evangelized area of the world ever, (laughs) we are in maybe one of the least reached areas of the world currently in that genuine belief is slim to none right now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that might step on toes. You and I live in the Bible belt where pretty much everybody thinks they're a Christian, but we see many people who, who live a Christian life don't exemplify Christian belief. Right. And so, so yeah, so I would say for listeners who've, who've listened to this and said, well, what does this apply to me? I'm not a missionary. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going to India. I would say, take a minute and pause and, and think, are you extending a cultural grace to somebody, whether it's, so for me, I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, which is about as white bread as it can get, right? Like we did not have a lot of minorities when I was growing up. It would be very easy for me to stay within my cultural boundaries sure. and just think everybody who disagrees with me is inherently wrong, you know, <laughs> right. because I can explain very well why I'm right and why you're wrong. So I'm not going to take a minute to listen to you. So, right. so now we're dealing with, with a lot of racial tension, a lot of political tension, and I'm constantly faced, whether in real life or on the internet with people who disagree with me vehemently. Yeah. And instead of just saying you're wrong, I'm right, and I can explain why, and here this here's these ten reasons, and here's this YouTube video that supports my position, and you obviously don't know all the facts. Just right. pause and listen and say, even if I disagree, my main intention is to listen to you and see how the gospel can fit into your life. Yes, that yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. And if you like, you say if you're sitting here listening and being like, I am not actively involved in the discord that you guys are talking about when you're thinking about your answer to these dilemmas as somebody who is on who is on college campuses is trying to minister to college and high school students think of what your not just your answer not just your logical answer but what your gospel answer is Mm -hmm. to these to these objections that are being raised not your bible answer Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, I don't want anybody to say, well, Josh is downplaying the Bible. No, because I don't want you to just come up with a scripture that matches yeah. your idea. Mm-hmm. 
come up with the gospel answer yeah. on what is what is really reaching and 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 healing these people, and it'll give you compassion. Yeah. for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's I think it's Carl Lentz that says you can't go into your closet with God and come out more jaded than when you went in. Yeah, and I feel like if you go into if if you if you just go in looking for an answer, yeah, that you already think you have, then then you mm-hmm. can. But if you just yeah. really go in with an an open mind and say, how do I share this beautiful story of an intercultural, yeah, and Jesus mm-hmm. with these people, yeah, you you'll have a greater understanding and compassion which will lead to you being more um just more successful in yeah. reaching them with the gospel yeah well and and you know going back even to the, the the question that prompts that discussion of like why would i worship a guy who lived two thousand years ago in a different culture and all these things and, and i guess really it boils down to i just genuinely believe that if jesus was dropped in the united states <laughs> this this year in 2020 yeah there's a lot of cultural things that would change but like i his character would not change one bit mm-hmm. you know what i mean like his character had very little to do with the fact that he was israeli you, the, you know the what I mean? message wouldn't change but the but the the means of displaying yeah. the message would right. most certainly change right yeah and so so yeah so the you know the answer being then uh, because, because Jesus transcends cultures because Jesus has no, Jesus is, is not, you know, sometimes we, we focus so much on being colorblind or like looking past the presuppositions that our cultures bring with us. I think Jesus really, really loves those things. Like he, yes. he created, uh, humanity. He created, uh, like some cultures to really, really focus on hospitality. And then he created <laughs> other cultures who like really, really struggle with it. And, and Jesus ultimately like, He's not going to let us like, he's not going to foster our sin. You know? So if if something comes from a place of sin, he's not going to foster that. But ultimately like Jesus is not hinged on changing your culture, like the, the, the things that make you, you, but instead he's, he's focusing on changing the things about you that are, are birthed out of sin, are birthed out of flesh. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that we need to begin to allow the Holy spirit in using the word to divide us in it's like what things are what things are god given me like in the image of god and yeah maybe i'm an american so i like certain things and and like if jesus was an american he'd probably like those things too you know and then what are things that i've allowed to spring up in me that make me hate people mm-hmm. or make me not like somebody who's from a different culture i can guarantee you jesus would not be cool with those things mm-hmm. you know because like you you brought up so many times ministering to Samaritans, so many times ministering to the Syrophoenician woman, so many times ministering to Roman centurions who literally had his people, uh, enslaved essentially, yes. you know? Yeah. And so, so yeah, so the, so the answer being because, because Jesus transcends cultures. And so, so no, so now we've successfully quoted Andy Bannister, talked about Andy Bannister, Paul Heber, and then you just referenced Carl Lentz. And so before I get a we lot also of got hate, C.S. Lewis in there, too. we did C.S. Lewis too. So, so, uh, but you know, for, the, for those of you listening, if you're not a big Carl Lentz fan, I apologize on Josh's behalf. <laughs> uh, Carl, Carl, Carl Lentz, I think is a good dude. Um, but, uh, but draw, draws a lot of criticism. And so, um, but I, I like, there's a one sermon in particular that, that I've heard of his that, that blew me away. So if you, if if you want to listen to a Carl and sermon, listen to this is us. Yeah. If you, if you listen to this is us and you, and you leave me in like, ah, eh, that was all right. You came in with some, with some yeah. baggage with Carl. And so, yeah. but, uh, 
But yeah. yeah, hey, hey, they say any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, term, so. exactly. Yeah, we're just trying to Carl Lentz gets people going. We're trying to get the people going. So. <laughs> um, okay, well, so this, so Josh, you did a great job on your first one. I think, I think we'll probably have you back on the All Things All People podcast. Um, but, uh, but so for those for those of you listening, if you've made it this far, congratulations. I hope that uh, you were blessed and rewarded uh, by by listening to the idea that maybe there's something more to God than just what you know and what you're familiar with, what you're comfortable with. I think mm-hmm. there's something be, that beyond uh, us that can be found in God. And so, Josh, uh, thanks so much, brother, and we'll do it again sometime soon. Hey, man, loved it. Thank you.